Okay, let's go ahead and uh, pick up exactly where we left off, as close to where we left off as possible. This is Mike Winger, and uh, he's still talking about progressive Christianity. We're going to get through the rest of his uh, his sermon, his speech on this. I, I discovered, thanks to uh, one of the listeners, I, th I think it was Ryan with an I, that uh, Randall Rouser also picked up on this speech and is doing exactly the same thing that I am doing. Uh, I, I'm sure he hasn't heard my program and decided to do it. I, I didn't know that he was doing it when I started this effort. He broke it up into two parts, I think probably in similar to the same place that I broke it up. We have many of the same observations, but uh, there are many observations that are different as well. And so I've heard the first part of his show, and it's, it's definitely worth listening to. Randall Rouser is a progressive Christian, progressive Christian, I think, in many ways, but I, I have a hard time categorizing him as a progressive Christian fully. There are some things where he's uh, fairly conservative on, or at least used to be. Uh, so uh, it's it's just been interesting uh, listening to his take on this. Uh, Mike Winger's take is, uh, I think if I had to describe it in one word, very uncharitable toward the progressive view. And I think it's, it's also very non-self-aware because many of the things that he accuses the progressive of is true of him personally and of just fundamentalist Christianity in, in general. So uh, now Mike is about to pick up at a place where, uh, as much as I hate to do it, I kind of agree with him. <laughs> We're he's going to get into the Bible and how progressives view the Bible. This is, this is also problematic, though. Um, it's it's just as problematic to say this is how the progressives view anything. In the same way, it's problematic to say this is how fundamentalists view anything, or in a broader term, this is the Christian view on blank. There are many flavors of progressive. And uh, one of the things that... Um, you do when you otherize someone that you disagree with is you lump it all into one category. So Mike Winger and most Christians don't recognize the different flavors of progressivism and progressive Christians. They just lump them all into one category as if there were only one kind of progressive Christian and they have this one view that's easy to target. And that's not true any more than there is one type of fundamentalist that's easy to target. Although that said, I think it's easier to target fundamentalists. I think they're closer together um, than progressives. But I, I recognize that when I'm talking about fundamentalist Christianity, that's I'm, I'm speaking of them as if they were a monolithic group, group, and they are not. And then when you talk about Christendom in general, this is the Christian view on blank. It's almost a ridiculously uh, inaccurate statement. 
by by default because Christianity is so big. So I'm obviously thinking about specific types of Christians, specific categories of Christians. It's one of the reasons I do the show for us in the first place, so that you can hear from all of the various flavors of Christianity. And you'll notice that some themes are repeated among them and are very similar, while even within the same denomination group, some are very different. Uh, so I, I I take that criticism on board, uh, I acknowledge it, and uh, I would say that Mike, what Mike Winger is doing here, he has got it nailed for some types of progressives and way off base for others, and he doesn't recognize the nuance. So as he talks about how progressives view the Bible, I think this does mirror my experience with certain types of progressives. And I think that this, there are probably more progressives that fit this, this category of description than other things that he said about progressives. So let's see what he says and um, see if there's anything worth commenting. Um, Let's talk about how they treat the Bible. When you show them that the Bible clearly disagrees with them, how many of you have done this? You talk to progressive Christian, whether they call themselves that or not, you show them this verse, that verse, and they just don't care. Has that happened to you? And were you like, I feel like I got cheated. Because I thought we were having a discussion about the Bible as if it mattered. You argued for three hours that this verse didn't mean that. And I did a lot of work to try to show you and demonstrate that it really does mean that. And it is the, it is the best explanation of... And then in the end, you didn't care, right? In the end, you were like, okay, so fine. So it says that, so what? And you're like, wait, something else is going on here. What is... Okay. Um, right, then. I don't... This is just an, an interesting um, objection because it applies to conservatives, too. I have argued with conservatives for hours about what the Bible says or what it means. And then, you know, they get to a point where, you know, maybe you have a little bit more juice than they do on that point. Doesn't mean you're right and they're wrong, but, but you're clearly winning the point. And then they shift the goalposts as if the point that they had been arguing all that time doesn't really matter as well. It's not really about that. It's about this other thing. So here you're kind of self-aware and you're projecting onto progressives, something that is true of all Christians in all Bible arguments at some point in time. Uh, very seldom does someone in a debate admit that they lost the debate or even a particular point. Uh, they, they they do often admit that over time, but not in the, the course of the debate. What they do is they shift the argument <laughs> so that they don't have to say, well, Okay, maybe you're right about that. Uh, so Mike, Mike Winger is being a, a little bit disingenuous here, I think, and um, paint, painting the progressives with something that's just true of humans in general. It doesn't even have to be about the Bible. It could be uh, someone arguing politics, you know, constitutional politics, that sort of thing. Um, Mac versus PC, it doesn't matter. Um, I... I see and engage in all kinds of ridiculous baits, debates online. I see this behavior all the time. 
The other thing that I would note, though, about this clip, which is something that I have run into with conservatives that I have not run into with liberals, which is uh, the idea of entitlement. The conservative believes that they are on a mission for God. And they have the entitlement for you to pay attention deeply to what they're saying and for you to change your opinion on the spot based on what they're telling you. Because they're speaking spiritual things from the Word of God, and they believe they're on a mission from God, and you owe them, you owe them your attention in this discussion. Mike Winger, you have the problem of many conservatives that I've talked to. I will be glad to waste some time with you online. I don't owe you jack. I don't, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you respect. <laughs> I will, I will give you respect until you give me a reason to take it away. But I don't, I actually don't owe you anything. And I certainly don't owe you this idea of, well, you know, if I lose this debate or lose one or two points in it, because you're a better debater than me, that I've somehow got to change my opinion and go with yours because it means that you're right and I'm wrong. And the only right thing for me to do is just to change my opinion on the spot. The truth is, even if I cared about what you were arguing, what I might do is say, look, I don't have a good answer for that right now. He did the debate. Um, yesterday I was on fire. I couldn't lose today. Uh, I'm cold. And I can't win. Okay. That's the nature of sports. Uh, you're a better athlete than I am today. I'll go back and listen to this. And I'll go back and consider those points uh, and see if there's something I, I need to change. That's the that's the most generous thing that anyone should do in the course of a debate. But the idea that you were entitled to to being declared right if you happen to win more points in the debate is absurd. It's absurd. No one owes you that. And if if that's the position where you're debating from, it's a bad, bad position to be in. Going on here, most progressive Christians agree that the Bible's important and it's a good source for at least some spiritual truth. Most of them will agree pretty much all on that. But the vast majority of them will also think it's majorly flawed. May I add them to a group of other people that believe this too. Muslims, the Bible is majorly flawed, even though they think that it is, is, is inspired. Mormons, only as translated correctly, which, which ends up being a nonsense phrase because it just ends up being only when it agrees with Mormon doctrine. How's that different from the way conservatives read the Bible? <laughs> I've seen many conservatives, because they've lost so many debates in this arena, acknowledge that maybe the Bible has flaws. Uh, even uh, the great Del Glover refuses to say that the Bible is inerrant. He leaves the door open for the errancy of scriptures. He just he would just say that, well, but it's not errant in any places that are important that would create uh, you know, what in his category would be undue confusion. 
So it can create due confusion <laughs> about things, but there are things that he would consider insignificant. So yeah, he would, he would acknowledge flaws if he had to, <laughs> uh, and he's pretty conservative. Uh, so conservatives have been over the last decade tripping all over themselves to walk away from this inerrancy of scripture thing to say, well, I'm not saying the Bible is inerrant. And yet they still heavily criticize people who would say, yeah, the Bible has errors, has errors. Uh, it, it's, it's a thing that they have not fully reconciled in themselves and progressives Almost all progressives, I, have, I don't think I've met a progressive who does not believe that the Bible uh, has errors. They all believe the Bible has errors. But what I'm saying is, these days, whether they believe it or not, most conservatives have a talking point of acknowledging that the Bible might have errors. <laughs> so, But they get really mad at progressives because... Um, Whereas I think that conservatives say it and don't really mean it because they're just leaving themselves an out in case they lose some biblical point that they want to let go of. They don't want to die on that hill and they can say, well, you know, that's a scribal error. They get really upset with progressives who say definitely the Bible has errors. It's also the quality of errors, the, the things that the Bible is errors in. So once again, the, the conservatives would say, well, you know, it might have errors, but in things that are not important. And the progressives would say, yeah, it does have errors in things that aren't important, but even they have a way of explaining those errors so that it should not mislead someone to a false belief. All sides have a way of suggesting that the Bible has some errors, and all sides have a way of suggesting that those errors aren't important. So once again, I, I, this is this is just Mike Winger not being particularly self-aware, being particularly uncharitable uh, to progressives, and you know the whole interpretation thing. Well, you know it's it's correct, but only only if. It's useful, but only if interpreted correctly. This is the this is the fundamentalist Christian's favorite go-to argument about the Bible. So if you're using the Bible and and you are exegeting a passage in a way that's not favorable to the conservative's position, they will just accuse you of not interpreting it correctly. You see, you don't care about the Bible because you haven't taken the, uh, the 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 time to consider the whole counsel of Scripture. Boy, I could I could talk for ten minutes on that. Um, and you're not interpreting it correctly. So they're there's they're down on this correct interpretation business to the point that if every English Bible translation translates a passage in a way that they don't like. What they will say is, well, that's an unfortunate translation. <laughs> so, you know, the Bible's uh, only, only useful insofar as it's interpreted correctly. Well, that's their argument, too. 
pick a, pick a group, Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh yeah, the Bible is absolutely our authority. But we had to make our own translation because every other translation got things wrong. <laughs> Especially about Jesus. <laughs> every group does this. They find a way of dethroning the scriptures as the, as the spiritual authority. And so the Bible's majorly flawed. Here they start to sound like pop atheists I interact with online. The Bible promotes slavery, genocide, human sacrifice, patriarchy. It's been changed. It's been translated and translated. And what you have is a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation. Of a translation. Not, I mean, that's not factually true, but this is... Which part of that is not factually true? This is the meme that goes around. It's ultimately not fully reliable. Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to feel this. If I was to tell you the Bible has corrupt moral values and it's been changed and it's not fully reliable, this would probably cause you distress if you are a typical Christian throughout the history of the world. To a progressive Christian, this brings comfort. This is a symptom. Why am I comforted by the idea that the Bible is wrong? I, I think this is a complete mischaracterization of... A, all progressives that I know anyway, that none of them would concur with that. That's a symptom. Something's going on. Something is alleviating a problem that I've got. So the Bible has major flaws. Whatever is causing progressive Christianity needs to find some way around the Bible's teachings. So first, they tend to attack it. And I see this over and over again in the books and the talks. Then they find a new way of using it because they don't want to abandon the Bible because you can't. Conservatives explain away uncomfortable passages all the time. They explain them away. They redefine words. They redefine terms so that it fits within the thing that they want to say and teach and believe. This, it's, it's no different. Call it progressive Christianity. <laughs> so... They want to use the Bible, but first it has to be dethroned. It has to be sort of filtered. It has, you have to get a pair of scissors so you could cut things out. This helps us see the real issue behind progressive Christianity. So I'm going to talk to you now about how they use the Bible. I've, I've seen this before, this symptom and others. Let me ask, the, um, Ali, what's my end time supposed to be so that I don't... Uh... 7 o'clock <laughs> I, I just have these five pages left. <laughs> 10, 20, all right. All right, so I can pace myself for you guys. It's not like YouTube where I can just go for an hour and a half, or two hours. Through. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, okay, so the progressive Christian problem is we have, we have values, wherever they're coming from, we'll talk about that in a second. We have values that are central to us that seem to disagree with the plain teaching of Scripture and the traditional values of the, of the Christian, Christians throughout history. So we need a way of filtering the Bible. Like, this is why many progressive Christians, on their way in, they're like progressive Christianity. And like six months later, a third are atheist, a third are non-religious, and maybe like a 30% are still progressive Christians. It's a Do we have, did anyone ever uh, find any stats to back that up? It's a doorway. It's not actually a building they're going to. It's just progressive Christianity is a doorway out of Christianity. Um, very sadly. Yeah, I, I would love to see the stats for that compared to fundamentalist Christianity. Because what I find in fundamentalist Christian churches, especially ones that I attended as a kid and came back to see as an adult, the ones that still exist, and many don't, are way smaller, way older. There are practically no kids 
they're practically practically no kids because when the kids grow up, most of them do not stick around. The way you get the kids to stick around in fundamentalist churches is you get them involved in the church service early and give them that taste of power and authority, especially especially uh, the boys. Uh, you get them involved early, get them preaching early, get them, you know, doing leadership things early. I grew up in that tradition. Now, that said, there are a lot of really talented kids. And, and if you're a talented child Christian, the more conservative church you're at, the better, because they will use that talent because they need it. They need it because they know that if they don't, you're going to walk. Okay, so you need an external filter to decide what's wrong with the Bible. So what happens now is Jesus shows back up. Jesus is the way to disagree with the Bible for many progressive Christians. Let me explain how that works. Richard Rohr says this. Listen carefully to this quote. He says, Jesus consistently ignored or even denied exclusionary, punitive, and triumphalist texts in his own inspired Hebrew Bible, in favor of passages that emphasized inclusion, mercy, and honesty. For example, referencing two passages from Exodus and Leviticus, Jesus suggests the opposite. And now he quotes Jesus. You've heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. Richard Rohr's interpretation, remember I told you they love this Sermon on the Mount. Richard Rohr's interpretation of Jesus here is he's actually disagreeing with the Bible. Now, if you actually study the Bible and look at the real history of the time, you'll realize eye for an eye is a biblical text about governmental penalties being the punishment fits the crime. That's all that is. Jesus is confronting people using this as an excuse for personal vengeance. Okay. Uh, having covered this subject pretty thoroughly on red letters, I would uh, just recommend that you... Pop on over to Red Letters. If you're not a member yet, uh, go, over, go on over to patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, become a member. Uh, you can listen to the entire back category. We just uh, finished talking about this particular subject. And so I will give some points to Mike Winger here and some points to the progressive Christian here. Uh, it certainly seems as if Jesus is disagreeing with what was said before. And uh, I've had some arguments with Peter about uh, this and to what extent this is. And so I think that Peter might actually agree with Mike Winger uh, on, on this and Richard War on this, uh, as if Jesus is contradicting uh, what, was, what was said in the law. And I don't think that's entirely the case. So there is some nuance here, as there is in, in most of this. Jesus wasn't saying, uh, you know, what, what the law says is wrong and you shouldn't do that. Jesus was intensifying it. So the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, before it gets started proper, it, Jesus makes a passionate defense of the law. He says, I'm not, I haven't come to abolish the law, in case you're thinking about it, not even a little bit. Not one jot nor tittle from the law. I'm not. I'm not here to remove or abolish or change anything. Uh, it says I've come to fulfill the law, which is 
Not his sneaky way of saying, I've come to abolish the law by fulfilling it. <laughs> no, rather, his idea of filling, fulfilling the law is to intensify it. it. It's the law plus. The law said you only had to do this. And I say, not only do you have to do this, you also have to do this. That's really how the, the Sermon on the Mount should be read, and this is one of those places where I think both the conservative and the progressive get it wrong. Oh, so like if you if you steal someone's cow, you owe them a cow or two, right? Okay, under Exodus, right? There's this eye for an eye, equal. It's it. It was an illustration. It's not like we're just running around poking out eyes. There's the quote people love: "An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind." And it's like not if you're paying attention to the command. It doesn't like this is not okay. And this is just. Uh, either a lie or just a, this is one of those places where conservatives like to run away from the harsh truths of the Bible. An eye for an eye literally was the law. Bruise for bruise, burn for burn, cut for cut, fracture for fracture. This literally, this was to be taken literally in the law. And yes, it had other ramifications, but there were actual examples given. This wasn't just some some bumper sticker that they used, they gave examples of how this would be applied. And uh, Mike, you're wrong. It, it literally was exactly what it said it was. What it means, you know, <laughs> eye for an eye is literally just saying equal justice. Um, no, it's literally saying an eye for an eye. Yes, it's also saying equal justice. But it's also saying an eye for an eye, a bruise for a bruise, a cut for a cut, a fracture for a fracture. If if you do something that caused one person to lose their hand, your hand has to be cut off. It's literally saying that, Mike. Stop lying. This is, is against people using this for personal vengeance, right? Richard Rohr interprets this as Jesus publicly teaching to a group of Jews Hey guys, I know the Bible said this, but the Bible was wrong. That's his interpretation of Jesus. This is consistent in progressive Christians. Jesus is often interpreted this way. Richard Rohr goes on. He says, he, Jesus, read the scriptures in a spiritual, selective, and questioning way. I don't think ancients would have understood the phrase questioning way. This is a modern thing. Although I love questions, you guys know that. I'm just saying this is... It's... Um, here, I would um, partially agree with him, partially agree with Richard Rohr. I think that Jesus did read the scriptures in a very selective way. I think all of the New Testament authors read the scriptures in a very selective way because they had to find a way to read their new ideas into the old scriptures. So they did that. In fact, people still do it today. They read their new ideas into old scriptures and Jesus and the, his disciples and uh, Paul, they were not any different there. As far as a questioning way though, if what he means is Jesus read the scriptures in a way that questioned the authority of God uh, and the scriptures, I, I think that is not the case. It's foofy. <laughs> um, Jesus had a deeper and wider eye and 
that knew which passages were creating a path for God and which passages were merely cultural, self-serving, and legalistic additions. Right, that's why Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. No, Richard Rohr's Jesus is, I can show you how to break the scripture properly. What's wrong with this? Um, well, you obviously have to do careful reading. And this is, this is part of our equipment. You want to protect people from progressive Christianity. Teach them to read the Bible in context. Because when they get to the Jesus parts where they're quoting Jesus, they're just immediately going to pull their hair out. And you're like, man, I, I know progressive Christianity is attractive, but it's just so stupid. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's... Okay. Uh, this buzzword, uh, teach, teach people to read the Bible in context. Context... It's kind of a poison pill in any discussion of the Bible. I understand what context is. Uh, I understand the importance of the proper use of context. But people use context when they're debating the Bible in a way that is unhealthy and uh, not useful at all. Uh, just to give you an example, I, I brought up this term that you see on the board from time to time. Uh, there's one person who uses it uh, fairly frequently uh, regarding the whole counsel of scripture. What the hell does that mean? Uh, it, it almost seems to imply that you cannot understand any one passage of scripture unless you have read and fully understood and internalized every passage of scripture. That, that is, I think, patently absurd. And it is certainly not a thing that um, that everybody in that person's movement does. And I, I think it's clear that that person doesn't do that either. It's absurd for any number of reasons, though. That particular passage of Scripture, any given passage of Scripture, or writing, or one of the letters, the prophets, anything like that, that a person would have had in the first century— would have uh, possibly been the only piece of scripture they had or had seen. They didn't have what we would call the whole Bible. It didn't exist. It was still being written. So it is impossible for anyone at that time, including the people who were writing the Bible, <laughs> to have the whole council of scripture <laughs> it's just it's not a it's not a sensible idea not possible at all uh so context what does context mean does it mean well okay i'll read two verses before the verse i'm looking at and two verses after the verse i'm looking at i, I mean i guess you could that may or may not provide you context uh honestly what it has come to mean, context, is you haven't read the scripture in context unless and until you read it the way I do. Unless you have the understanding that I have, then you're not reading it in context. Oh, irrational. It's so not concerned about the Jesus they say they worship. He's a tool for some other commitment. Jesus is a bobblehead. This is our culture. This is the way we've been for years. Jesus is the bobblehead that nods in agreement with whatever you are obsessed with. Right? Every time I hear a, po a politician quote the Bible, I'm like, you don't care about the Bible. You just think it adds authority to you for whatever you're saying right now. 
we come to scriptures to come underneath them. We come to Christ to come underneath them, but everybody wants to grab the Bible and Jesus like props, right, to promote the thing that they're all about. How's, how's that different for fundamentalists? Careful reading's needed. Um, this is consistent. Progressive Christians are always knocking down a straw man. They're always going to talk about the Bible as, well, some, this is Richard, uh, Pete, Pete Enns in his book on, on how to read the Bible. He's like progressive Christian, right? He's, he's like, you know, people going to the Bible, they think it's just this rule book. It's just a rule book. And then he goes to argue against the Bible being a rule book. And I'm just like, well, I mean, parts of it are a rule book. But you, can't, you just can't use the blanket statement. I mean, there's like a whole section called the law, right? Leviticus is a bunch of rules. <laughs> Exodus has whole sections that are just rules. Then there's like poetry. There's like a love poem in the Bible. There's wisdom in the Bible. There's ancient history in the Bible. There's allegorical content in scriptures. Although you shouldn't make stuff allegorical, it's not. I mean, you just read it as it is. We have the life of Jesus. So it's not just a rule book, but neither is it just not a rule book. Okay, can you be specific, Mike? Which parts of the Bible uh, constitute rule books? I mean, you mentioned the law, but even Mike Winger would not go through the section marked the law in the Bible and derive specific rules for living from it. So he would he would actually in practice say, no, that's not actually a rule book for us. <laughs> so, and, and there are other things that he would look at that are clearly a part of the poetry passages that he would say, no, that is literally a rule for us. So um, what he's saying sounds sensible, not helpful at all. Like read the Bible, like with your brain. I mean, and this is, this is the thing. Pete Enns is, is going to champion this. You gotta that particular phrase, read the Bible with your brain, uh, it's just a, a kind of a cheap shot. Everyone who disagrees with me is clearly not reading the Bible with their brain. Read your Bible with your whole brain, but they're always going to come against a straw man of Christian values. So if you are raised in a church that is high respect for Scripture but low thought on Scripture, you're going to be very prone to fall to progressive Christianity. Or fundamentalist Because you're gonna, you, you don't know what the Bible actually talks about slavery, what's going on there. Um, if, if someone convinces you, well, the Bible was supporting slavery. Now you're going to be like that, that tinder that's ready to catch fire and say, yes, you're right. We need a pair of scissors. We got to find a pair of scissors. And then Jesus becomes the pair of scissors. Did the Bible support slavery or not? Yes, it did. So he goes on, Richard Rohr goes on to say that Jesus ignored most of the Bible. He says, uh, Jesus talks much more out of his own experience of God and humanity, remember that phrase, his own experience of God. And humanity, instead of teaching like the scribes and Pharisees, who operated out of their own form of case law by quoting previous sources. Oh, this is it's so annoying. Richard Rohr is so deceptive. Okay, the, the scribes and Pharisees quoted not case law, like in the generic sense, because case law would include Old Testament. They quoted previous teachers. They would always quote other rabbis and other sources. Jesus quoted straight from Scripture and then offered an interpretation directly of the Bible. That's a lie. Although I will be a little bit more generous and say maybe he's just ignorant. But if you follow me on red letters, in fact, I think I may have done this supplemental uh, and shared it on 4S. Jesus has no problem lying about what Scripture says. He doesn't quote directly from Scripture. He, he often misquotes Scripture on purpose 
to make a point. He will say things like, God said so-and-so when God said no such thing. You go back and read the story, and it's not true. So, you know, I don't know what Jesus is quoting, but it's not the scripture that you got in your pocket. The problem is that he, he subverted their, um, their, their traditions and went straight to the text of scripture. Richard Rohr wants to take it as though Jesus was ignoring the Bible itself. Jesus obviously wasn't doing this. Um, so Jesus disagrees with the Bible. He openly contradicts it. He leaves out stuff he doesn't agree with. So Rohr then gives you this set of instructions on how, to, how you should read the Bible. And this is consistent amongst progressive Christians, different versions of this. Meditate deeply. Let go of previous beliefs, specifically previous Christian beliefs. <laughs> Let go of those. Um, and then um, wait for a voice from God. Wait a minute. Doesn't the fundamentalists tell you, uh, in essence, to ignore previous beliefs? You know, to, to uh, open your mind to the new ideas of Scripture and uh, ignore your previous beliefs? How is that a... How is that a... a um, progressive thing from within then you're going to listen then you're going to hear then it's going to be transformative and what, what's happening is i can no longer take the plain meaning of the text i mean i know i'm going to disagree with it but there's going to be this inner voice that tells me what i should believe who's the authority now me my heart you guys have been listening to skeptics and seekers right you've heard christians appeal to the inner witness of the holy spirit and probably basic beliefs and things like that Right? Actually. Let me play for you guys uh, an example of how Richard Rohr talks about the Bible. Here's, here's, we'll play clip number one that is uh, Richard Rohr. The Dalai Lama in one sentence says for me what it took Paul the entire letter of the Romans to, to say. You Lutherans love Romans, and I do too, actually. But God, it's tortured logic. Oh, God. Paul is trying so get much to get us beyond the law, but just does know how to say it in a simple phrase. Well, the Dalai Lama does. He says, learn and obey the rules very well, so you will know how to break them properly. Hmm? <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just laugh to our graves. Um, Learn the rules so you'll know how to break them. That's his approach to scripture. Learn it so you know how to disagree with it, in a sense. Um, anyway, I could talk for a while about his, that weird clip, but I want to play another one. Here's Brian Zond. He believes that Jesus is sort of an internal voice in him, and he can use this Jesus with him when he wants to disagree with the Bible. Let's play that clip. It's all because of Jesus, so I never go wandering around in the Old Testament without Jesus. So at any given moment, I can pause and I can say, Jesus, what do you think of that? And Jesus can say to me, Brian, what do you think of that? Well, it seems to me, Jesus, that in the light of what you taught us, that we have to rethink this passage. And I think Jesus says, amen. Bobblehead Jesus says, amen. What do you think, Jesus? Well, what do you think, Brian? <laughs> okay, I'll just be honest with you. I think this is the fairest point that Mike Winger makes in the whole, whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly what happens with a lot of prog progressive Christians. However, once again, uh, someone is failing to look in the mirror. This is exactly what happens with conservatives too. Uh, this is exactly what happens with 
all Christians everywhere, in fact, pretty much all religionists, their God, you know, their their Yahweh, their Jesus, ends up looking exactly the way they do. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Um, it, you know, in countries where people are allowed to vote <laughs> for things, that Jesus votes for the same stuff that they vote for. Did you notice that? Jesus is a Republican, or Jesus is a Democrat. Depends on who you are. Uh, Jesus was pro-Trump. Jesus was anti-Trump. Jesus is the guy who uh, votes for all of the stuff that you vote for. And Jesus cares deeply about all of the stuff that you happen to care about. And so when a conservative goes to inquire of scripture, you know, they, they also read in that scripture, a mirror of what has, what have I God placed in your conscience on this? Because they believe that their, their inspiration is God, but the way God presents it is a spirit filled conscience because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit confirms uh, that which needs to be confirmed and rejects that which needs to be rejected. So it's, it's the same process. It, it's mockable on both sides. And so a pox on both your houses, fundamentalists and progressives. But yeah, every Christian has a bobblehead Jesus that affirms what they affirm. <laughs> Well, Jesus, in my, in my amazing wisdom of life, I think that the bubble's wrong here. And it said, yes, Brian, you're very wise. You know? <laughs> this is, that's progressive Christianity in a nutshell. Um, that's Christianity. So Pete ends. He tells us that, God, that you know, passages in the Bible where, that are like, God told me to do what? Pete ends says, God never told him to do that. They just thought he did. Now, he's a legit scholar. Like, legit scholar with real credentials, okay? Um, Greg Boyd uses something called a cruciform hermeneutic, and I'll try to, it's really, even when he tries to explain it, people are like, what's he talking about? The basic approach to the Bible is this. On the cross, Jesus was suffering for your sins. He looked like he had done the things you had done. So in the, in the Old Testament, we use a cruciform hermeneutic, and we say, in the Old Testament, God isn't, he's not like that. He's just letting himself look the way you look. Judgment isn't God being angry or bringing wrath or judgment or you know, anything like that upon people. It's him, him showing you what your anger looks like. This is really clever, but completely unsustainable when you actually look at how Jesus talks about the Old Testament. I believe that uh, this is Randall Rouser's view as well. I don't want to uh, misattribute here, but in my discussions with Randall, this, you know, he seems to hold some form of this idea. And so I would affirm uh, Mike Winger's criticism that some progressives uh, tend to view it this way. And I would also agree with Mike Winger that that does seem to be unsustainable. Because he's looking at the cross and his vision of the cross as a way of interpreting the Old Testament. It's just a weird approach. But Jesus himself talks about judgment quite a lot. The Bible seems to think that God's wrath is good. And I, it's uncomfortable and hard for me, and I don't always appreciate God's judgment, but I'm not so arrogant as to think I'm right and he's wrong. So one day we'll appreciate. Why don't you always appreciate God's judgment? 
God's judgment. And one day that will happen. But the inner voice guides you on what truth to believe. Uh, Glennon Doyle is probably the most famous of these people that I was looking into. She wrote the best-selling book, Untamed. She's got like almost 2 million followers on Instagram right now. She's, she was a Christian blogger who left her husband for a lesbian relationship. But this was not a bad thing in her view. This was an epiphany, a religious epiphany, and she writes about it. You're supposed to put yourself and your desires first. This is part of the, the awakening that she experienced. She says, maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting. Eat the apple. As a quote from her, this is considered, but you don't understand. You feel like it's bad. This is like the epiphany. Oh, like, yes, my inner desires are telling me what my purpose is. My need for satisfaction, that is my spiritual guide. This is progressive Christianity. This is the heart. This is also conservative Christianity. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, that, is, that is true. Many people use their inner wanting, their, their inner leading as a guide for what they do, but that's, that's perfectly acceptable if your inner wanting is in concert with and informed by the Holy Spirit. And so Christians would also say, you know, I, I do this thing because I have this inner push to do it that comes from, that I'm convinced comes from God. Uh, I, one of my favorite preachers decided to leave his congregation and become a military chaplain because he felt that God was, was giving him this internal push in that direction. You could say that that was his inner wanting, his inner desire. And he would say, yeah, but that was, that was put there. And, um, and, and it inspired there and, uh, became the catalyst of his, um, ultimate actions by God. That, that was God talking to him, pushing him. Christians, conservative Christians use this language all the time. It only becomes a pejorative when a progressive does it for something they don't like. It's not about Jesus. It's not about the Bible. Those are just the things that we're bringing along as bobbleheads on our journey. I like this bobblehead analogy. I hadn't thought of it. It wasn't in my notes. I was like, yeah, I should have put that in my notes. That's good. It's really accurate. Alisa Childers rightly evaluates Glennon Doyle and says, by reversing the biblical narrative, she turns the Christian worldview on its head. And I love this quote from her. She says, sin is no longer what's wrong with the world, but unrealized ambitions. Doesn't that make sense? That's, that's what's tying together L, G, B, and T. This is my, this is my inner need. And it's, I believe it's a spiritual need that needs to be filled for me to achieve these dreams and these ambitions that I've got. So it's exhilarating. It's like an adventure when you cast off the shackles of Christianity that you've been raised with and you're able to sort of forge your own path with Jesus and the Bible along to approve of you as you seek into, look into your inner self to find your ambitions. And so when you go at them, at the, when you quote the Bible, hey, progressive Christian, but the Bible says that's wrong. You're attacking their core ambitions, their inner self. You're destroying their spiritual journey. This is why they can't stand you in their fellowships. <laughs> why they're willing to hold hands with anybody who agrees or disagrees on other issues. It's exhilarating. My beliefs end up fitting so well with what I want 
It's a reinvented spirituality that's tailor-made to make you feel good about yourself. So they're very united. So what's the heart? Here's my diagnosis of progressive Christianity, at least as my current understanding of it. Maybe I'll grow and learn, learn it better. My diagnosis, the thing that's at the heart of it is that your inner sense of goodness and personal purpose is your spiritual authority and compass. Your inner sense of goodness, not just all your desires, your inner sense of goodness and your personal purpose, two different things there, they are your spiritual authority. It's not... This is actually one of the things I like about progressive Christians. They do embrace their inner sense of goodness. They are doing the work of morality. They have to think through the issues and they have to make determinations based on that lifetime of thought and contemplation. They have to they have to go through that and make the determination of what is right and wrong at any given moment. The conservative Christian would like to bypass all the work of morality and just say, all right, this is what God wants. I think the mainstream Christian isn't quite like that. They're, they're closer to progressive than uh, fundamentalists in this way. The fundamentalists would like to boil everything down to God said this, uh, God said do this, God said don't do this, God said this is right, God said this is wrong. They, they want to make it as black and white as possible and be able to say, well, this, this doesn't come from me, it, it comes from God. I think that's a cop-out. Even uh, when I was a fundamentalist Christian, I, I felt like that was a cop-out because there was simply no way to do morality like that. There's just too many things that God doesn't talk about. <laughs> and at some point, you have to start appealing to your inner conscience on things that God doesn't talk about so that you can have a way of saying, excuse me, so that you can have a way of saying, okay, well, um, God, this is what God is telling me about this issue. And, you, and then you can distance yourself from it and say, well, but it wasn't from me. This wasn't my opinion. This was God. The fact is, it is from you. This is you. And the progressive Christian doesn't make that extra step to try to distance themselves from uh, their their conscience and their choices, their their moral choices. It's, it's a subtle difference, but um, yeah, I, I I think this is one that I uh, respect from uh, progressives. Just that you are the authority. It's that your heart's desires, particularly the ones that feel good and proper to you for whatever reason, they're your spiritual guide. So hate and bitterness aren't positive. And we don't want to feed those. Those don't feel good. They don't feel right. But same-sex relationships absolutely is. As long as it's couched in uh, who I really am deep down and what I really need to be to be complete and satisfied. This is why uh, transgender has to be supported too because it's a sense of this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, my inner need, like if you're gonna feed yours, you gotta, you gotta approve of mine too. And that feels good. Like it does feel good to just go around approving everybody all the time. I mean, you end up becoming like um, insane 
in reality when you do this. But, but I mean, you guys know people who do this. All they do is approve people all the time. And you're like, you're a walking contradiction, but you're very, you get along with everybody really well. So, so I'm just saying I understand the attraction that's there. So same-sex relationships, um, they, they will never come against it. They'll come against abuse in relationships, abuse in same-sex relationships, but not the nature of the relationship. Nothing could be wrong with that. The, the progressive Christian has to embrace it as true. Uh, a trans person only has to say, this is who I feel I'm supposed to be, and it's like a deep core identity thing, and then you have to approve it because the internal, your internal light, your internal guide, this is the thing that shows you who you are. Universalism has to be true because if your journey and your heart at the, are at the center of spirituality, that is completely in conflict with God one day judging you. You're the hero of the journey. Of course you have to win in the end. <laughs> you can't end with you being the bad guy. Like, that, that doesn't work with that worldview. So universalism is, is across the board. Uh, whatever they think of heaven, they, they definitely approve of universalism. Um, rejection of constricting doctrine is definitely important because constricting doctrines are where I place requirements on you, Eric, in the front row here, just to make you feel suddenly nervous for no reason. Um, <laughs> uh, so you're, you know, if, if I give you a doctrine, now I'm limiting that journey where you look for this inner light to guide and direct you towards these, these spiritual experiences. So I can't give you doctrines. This is why doctrines, it's not that they're just wrong, it's that they're, they hurt my path. This is, this is part of the reason. Let me show you. So I, I don't get that. Uh, progressives do have doctrines. They do believe in doctrines. This, this seems like one of those straw manny statements. Uh, again. You guys, this in action. Uh, here's a clip from Rob Bell. We'll go to clip number four. I'm skipping clip number three. I'm deleting it because you guys will never know all the wonderful truths that I hid in clip number three. <laughs> it was just Brandon Robertson denying the Bible. But um, if we'll go to clip number four, Rob Bell. Uh, and then you think about, for many people, for roughly 1,400 years in Western culture, you've had this idea of original sin, which is that which is deepest within a human is wrong, off, broken, sinful. So no wonder people end up not able to trust their own inner knowing. They've been taught that if you look far enough inside of yourself, all you'll see is evil and darkness. Mm. But what's fascinating is the actual tradition begins, Genesis 1, all human beings bear the divine image. That which is deepest within you is good. Yeah. Of course, we have tremendous capacity to make a mess of things. Nobody's fuzzy on this. Well, I think he's fuzzy on it. You, you have a tremendous capacity to make a mess of things, but your inner knowing is your guide for all spiritual truth. Like, those don't work together, actually. Um, Okay, let's look at this in action. Your inner knowing. I think Glennon Doyle talked about her inner knowing. Rob Bell, uh, Glennon Doyle, Brian Zond, Greg Boyd, Pete Enns. Fill in the blank. Your inner knowing or the Jesus that speaks to you privately becomes your guide. But that Jesus, of course, is bobbleheads to whatever you say. So, okay, I want to see the next clip is this in action. It's a bit of a longer clip, but this is in action. It's a, it's a, it's a debate discussion between Rob Bell and um, Andrew Wilson, I think it is, and... Um, Andrew Wilson did a really good job with it. But notice the two moves Rob Bell does. You don't know what the Bible says. It's fuzzy. He doesn't have to say it's wrong. All he has to say is at least it's fuzzy. You don't know that it says that. And the second move will be, so we have to let people's stories tell us what reality really is. So let's, let's play that. Now, I'd just be interested to know what, what it is about that makes you feel confident that, that this isn't just Rob Bell going liberal. This is actually Rob Bell being true to 
to Christ being true to the scriptures? Well, I, I think the better question is, what does it look like when it's lived out? And I've been in lots and lots and lots of settings with lots of friends and lots of people who have same-sex relationships, and it's not destructive, and it's not evil, and it's not... It's a part of how churches are. It's a part of how life is, and it's fine. That's, the, that's surely to, that's the, to beg the question, though, isn't it? To say... I've been in lots of friends relationships with people who are doing this, and it's not destructive or it's not evil. Surely God gets to define that, doesn't he? Over and above, not to speak about the individual's concern, but God gets to provide that definition rather than my observation. It's like you can imagine people in the period of one or two kings, which I'm going through in my quiet times at the moment, going, well, actually, I know lots of people who, who worship at the high places and, and they still follow Yahweh, that's great. And the, the scriptures don't seem to have that attitude. They seem to be saying, no, 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 there, is, there are moments, a lot of them, where Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, he needs to hate in the sense of lesser love these all of these things that you might otherwise have to lose if you follow me and of course paul was like that it cost him his, his life and it cost, it cost jesus his life obviously it cost him sexual relationships neither of them had those things so it is sort of doesn't god get to draw that line rather than i shouldn't say you i know there's others who are doing it too but why isn't that why isn't the fact that scripture speaks that way and the fact that paul moses jesus speak that way why isn't that the end of the conversation in terms of defining what something might be, to be evil and destructive, what something looks like. Your interpretation of verses? My interp no, not my interpretation. Well, of course it is. We're all doing our own interpretation of verses, but it's not only an interpretation of verses. It's, it's an understanding of the sweep of Scripture starting from the very beginning where you have one man, one woman in permanent relationship and you go all the way through the, the rest of the... Your well, understanding of the sweep of scriptures. Well, understanding of Genesis 1, understanding yeah. of Genesis 2, understanding of the Torah, understanding yeah. of the prophets, understanding of Jesus, understanding of Paul Revelation. Of course, that's, that's always what we're talking about. But I think to say, oh, but that's your understanding. Of course, it is my understanding, just like yours yeah. is yours. But yours, unlike mine, is obviously in the, in the face of apparent meanings of lots and lots of texts supported by almost every scholar. And it's also in the face of 2,000 years of Christian tradition in which that hasn't been the way people have read any of those texts. Okay, uh, before uh, Mike Winger jumps back in, I found this to be an interesting exchange. Uh, I'm not a fan of Rob Bell, but I thought he, I thought he actually presented the better argument. And if you want to say, well, his argument is the progressive argument, and the other guy is the the fundamentalist argument, I think that we see here a very clear path of difference. Uh, and it's and it's one of the reasons why I would love to see the progressive side of Christianity win if it has to be, you know, one of the other progressive versus fundamentalist. Uh, and I, I think that you can uh, begin to see why fundamentalism has lost a lot of its um, appeal. So for Rob Bell, it's yeah, we're we're told we're kind of given this boogeyman of same-sex relationships are bad. But now we have all of this data and all of this experience. And, um, you, you know, the, the, the data is, is coming in very strongly. It's not bad. It's not, it's not any worse than uh, heterosexual relationships. Uh, anyway, when given the opportunity, uh, People in homosexual relationships aren't any more miserable than people in uh, heterosexual uh, relationships. It's simply not a bad thing. People are, are happy. They're living their lives. They're 
they're doing the things that everyone else is doing. And so you've been told about all these dire consequences, but real life suggests, no, that's, that's just not how it works out. And the fundamentalist Christian says, well, I don't care about practical realities. My God, my invisible friend, you know, the one that agrees with me, my, if I, if you'll allow me, my bobblehead God clearly says that it's wrong. It, it says it's wrong in the Bible. I, I interpret these verses to mean that it's wrong. And my interpretation, of course, is correct. It's not my interpretation. It's the correct interpretation. Of course, conservatives believe that. Um, so God says it's bad, and he's the only one who gets to choose. So does it matter how good it feels or seems or in reality is from a practical social and uh, individual standpoint? The only thing that matters is that God says it's bad. So I'm on the side of God. And how do I know that God says it's bad? Because there are these verses in the Bible that says it's bad. And I interpret them to mean that it's bad and that that's God's opinion. So that's what I'm going with. I am going to disengage my brain. I am going to fail to do the work of morality. And I'm going to go with this shortcut here which says, God says it's bad. So it's bad. Did you notice also how he tried to bring in the, what was this phrase? Um, the whole sweep of scripture. <laughs> I just want you to, to laugh at that notion every time you hear it. <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> there. I do have to explain. Yeah, it's, it's your interpretation, it's your view, it's your perspective, those things are wrong. Okay, to summarize. Um, this seems to explain the symptoms. Uh, I become my spiritual authority. Spiritual truth is grounded in my personal experiences and my perception of my goodness. The problem is that that's actually just being informed by culture. Um, culture is pushing uh, the sexual revolution, expressive individualism. Yeah, you might want to Google that term. And when I am being, this is why the, the influencers are influenced for a blip and they die and they're not actually holding sustained things. They're just showing people the door out of Christianity using the fact that people are like, like dry tinder to this stuff because culture has told you that we're all on a hero journey and it's about finding you know, your path and expressing your true self, that it's ultimately loving me is above loving God in all reality. God is a, is, a, is a me serving entity, ultimately. So there's a lot more that could be said about this. I'll just mention this is where progressive Christianity is merging with cr uh, critical race theory. And if you're gonna be like, critical race theory is a boogeyman, I'm just gonna say, look, Critical race theory being a boogeyman is, is a boogeyman. Okay, let's like think about this like adults for a second. Critical race theory, part of this is the, while racism is a huge problem, don't, don't, I don't, I'm not denying that. Um, critical race theory, though, is, is going to come alongside and say, we're going to privilege the stories of, of people in the category of the oppressed. Their stories are going to give us the reality of situations. And then we'll underprivilege, we'll lower the privilege of those who we think in the past have had privilege. First of all, man, Mike, you're playing all the hits. Where did race pop in on this? I mean, we were having a discussion about progressive Christianity, and of course, um, you know, the Christian, the conservative Christian's mind is always on 
gayism. And so that's, that's a big piece of it, but yeah, right at the end of your speech. Oh, and also let's, let's throw in race <laughs> while, while we're at it, you could have ended this sermon two minutes earlier than you did. Uh, you could have, you could have left that out. That's ridiculous. But if you, if you're going to bring up critical race theory, uh, and you're going to define it this way, and that's, that's fine. There are lots of ways to define it. I think that most people talk about it and have no idea what it is. It's just, it's become a buzzword now. But, okay, so for you, Mike Winger, you have to almost grudgingly acknowledge, yeah, okay, we, we still have racism. But let me go ahead and and express my racist views anyway. Um the idea that um let me back up I say this I don't want to spend too much time on this have you have you heard the um the term replacement theory so I think this goes along with this as well this is the idea that uh through some nefarious means uh good white people are being replaced by colored people in uh, various aspects of life. And that the goal is over time to you know, just replace the white people. White people fear this. White people have feared this for a very long time. This is not new. We have some new words around this idea, but from the first rumblings of civil rights and equality, white people have been afraid of this. If you are familiar with the show All in the Family, Archie Bunker was the poster child of this, where white, white people are afraid that the chicks of history are coming home to roost. And they are going to be displaced as the obvious dominant force in society. White people are very happy being the dominant force in society. And they get very nervous when you talk about giving minorities an opportunity to catch up. Whether it's an opportunity to catch up educationally, politically economically that's when they get very scared because what happens when white people are the minority and they lose power then maybe they start getting treated like you know the way they've treated everybody else since history so mike mike winger his his particular concern is that all of a sudden we're going to start privileging the stories of uh, minorities. And because there's only so much room in history books and so much time to teach history in schools, we're going to get more stories of colored people, more colored heroes. And that means that Every time a colored hero rises, a white hero dies. 
because there's just not enough room to, to talk about it. We got to start cutting them out of history. If you're going to start giving equal time and uh, and prioritizing some of the stories that you have not prioritized, I imagine Mike Winger and company shook with fear over the movie Hidden Figures, talking about the role of black women in the uh, space program. This scares people like Mike Winger to death because they have been so successful at suppressing these stories for so long. And now people are saying, you know, you know what? I want to hear the other stories. And for every story where there is a black woman hero, this is a, a little place in the culture where a white male loses a little bit of their grip. Fuck you, Mike Winger. This allows the progressive Christian to filter the stories that fit their views with the stories that don't. You're heterosexual, oh, well, your story isn't privileged. We have to privilege the stories of the LGBT community. Whereas I think a biblical view is to say, I'm gonna listen to all your stories. They tell me about your heartache and your life and your experiences, but they don't tell me the truth of reality. God has an authority to trump even my heart. And that is consistent in scripture. So I would share with them like Jeremiah, where he says like the prophets are prophesying prophecies of their own heart instead of listening to my word, right? Or where Jesus says that scripture cannot be broken or he tells us to love God above ourselves or how he kept telling people to repent. And it wasn't just of, um, it, was, it was of all the stuff. <laughs> it was of all the stuff. Anyway, there's a lot more that could be said, but I'm, I'm all out of time. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I hope that this helps give you at least an angle. If, if I could suggest one thing, right? My mom had appendicitis. The, the cure was to, I think, just to rip her appendix out. But, <laughs> but, um, but I think the, the focus then as we discuss things with people that are really caught up in progressive Christianity is maybe start the discussion with, is God able to tell you that your heart is, being, is mistaken, even about your own satisfaction in life? Is, does God have the authority to tell you that you're wrong, even about your own perceptions of your own life? Does God have that place? And if their answer is yes, then you bring in the other things, biblical support, because it's going to come back to that. But my life is telling me, but my life, and you go, but wait, but I thought God had authority to tell you. And this is, this is like going to seem like a bigoted Christian evangelicalism when there are colonials, something or other going on there. But in reality, it's like, it's like in what world, in what world is it reasonable to think that humans cannot be completely confused and corrected by God. This doesn't seem like brain surgery to me. So, all right, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, because in Mike's world, humans can be completely confused and corrected by his God. Now, Mike, does not see himself as, you know, the possibility of being confused. Our view of Jesus matters. Sorry about that. Our Mike doesn't see uh, himself in that position. It's always the other people that are completely confused and who need to ignore all of their senses, all of their education, all of their experience in the world, and accept that all of that is wrong and needs to be corrected by Mike Winger's God. That's that's how conservatives think. 
and they pretend like, yeah, you know, I submit myself to this same God, you know, except you've submitted yourself to a God that looks and thinks exactly the way you do with your prejudices and preferences. Somewhere in this program, I think I said, a pox on both your houses. Yeah, still mean that.